There's a Dungeon Master's kit? Mm-hmm. Oh, excuse me. Bless you. Hmm. There we go. <laughs> I just like the song. <laughs> this is the time. This is the place. And this is FC3 Monkey Business, your one-stop shop for everything geeky. And since anything is geeky, if you love it enough, you never know what you're going to get. This is your host, I am C. This week, we will be talking to the lead designer and managing editor for the fifth edition of Dungeons & Dragons, Jeremy Crawford. Woo-hoo! After that, I'm no, seriously. Sorry. After that, <laughs> stick around for our upcoming events, Everyday Heroes, and our question of the week with me as always perpetually consistently and every time we're on the air it is the legend himself billy detori oh hi hi billy he's a legend in his own mind he's a legend in my mind i think he's he's only a legend in my mind okay um tiny mattress is also here today say hello the tanya uh producer sherry is on the phone hello hello producer sherry how are you today snow down there good yeah and it's good and it's angie's fault Yes. And then the uh, the lovebirds extraordinaire Edwin and Dolly are in the house today. Hello for change Hello. not for change not playing house. I see. Thank you very much for that. Appreciate it. It's <laughs> <laughs> very nice of you. Chris is here too. Who's Chris, that? Chris is there. Oh, hey Chris, how you doing, buddy? Good. Good morning. Good to hear your Hi. voice, mate. Good to hear your voice. All right. So jumping right into it, uh, we have sponsor shoutouts to hit up, and then I got I'm going to ask everybody how you're all doing. All right. So first of all, all of the usual sponsors, Knox. Selena's, First Print Comics, The Great Escape Room, Wibbly Wobbly Timey Wimey. This is some good stuff. These it people is some are good stuff. I'm telling you, these people are amazing. We're looking forward to showing them off a little bit. And Wibbly Wobbly is working on some new props. Are they really? Yes. What do they got going? Do you, I have they not say? a clue. They, they said they, they, said? they were painting and, uh-huh. and and screwing stuff down and hammering and building. So there's a lot all. of construction noises yes. in the background. Good yes. for them. Big good time. for them. That's going to be fun to see what they've got coming. And uh, so we got some Patreon shout outs. We had some new Patreon subscribers in, in go, recent go, days. Go, go, go. Uh, so a big shout out to Terry Sinopoli of Arlene's Costumes. John Ashton Carton, our very Batman. own Batman. Good to see you, buddy, and good to hear from you. And James Irish, who has been following us avidly on Twitch. Twitch. We just launched the Twitch channel. We did our 24-hour marathon uh, last week. And then uh, Beardy is his nickname, but Josh uh, I think Coppinger, or no, Yeah, is it Coppinger? Coppinger. Josh Coppinger and I have been uh, handling the weekend shifts. I know, Edwin, you've got something in mind coming up, I think. Did you? Or no, you've got your own channel is what it is. What's your channel? It's the guy guy in the chair. chair. The guy in the chair. And then we are Mighty Monkey underscore TV on Twitch. And we'll be posting a a regular schedule fairly soon. Bernard Marvin's been our our team captain on that. He's been keeping us organized. And so this has been, it was a lot of fun. I got Mm -hmm. to play Warcraft for the first time in ages. And you had a visitor. And I had a visitor, a cat. Yes, a little fuzzy visitor. A little fuzzy visitor. The the cat that we are keeping for the next couple of months has has claimed me as her own. Yes. Which is. She was cute. Which is great. Just great. You don't like cats, Chris? I'm not a huge cat fan. I can, I I don't (laughs) dislike them as much as I used to when I was younger. Um, I can, I can enjoy them. But it's like being a grandparent. Mm-hmm. I enjoy them and know that they can. I can then walk away from them and send them home or something along those lines. The fact that this one's been living with me for a couple of months now and running around the house when and running around the sleep. house when I'm trying to sleep, stuff like that. It's it's just taking some getting used to. See, I'm, last night uh, we went out to dinner with uh, my sister and her husband and their kids. Mm-hmm. And anytime we're on, I love their kids. Yes, but th- that's exactly how I feel. I'm, I'm, See, I'm like, glad okay, to go I'm home done. to my cat. Thank God we have cats, Susan. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, but you're like the crazy cat uh, family that's yeah. starting. But yes. that's all good. How many do you have right now? Right now, four. Right now, four. Four. Do you want two more? No. <laughs> I, oh, well. I can put them up. Yeah. Um, how are things out in your neck of the woods, Sherry and Chris? Um, not bad. It finally stopped snowing. <laughs> so you have like 12, 13 feet? Well, it feels like it. Oh, we have no more room to put any snow in our yard. We really don't. In the distance, is that Chris? No, it's a Yeti. <laughs> <laughs> Yeti again? Yeti again. <laughs> Betty met a Yeti. Uh-huh. Where's Lana? Lana is at Derby. Actually, she just finished up Derby, and she's heading out. She had to work today. Oh, oh boy. We miss Alana. We do. We miss her dancing around in the, in the production booth. But your aim will get better. <laughs> but, <laughs> oh, it, you don't even know. You don't even know. Um, do we have any Apple five-star reviews, Producer Sherry? Not this week. Okay. Hey, but you know what? I can do the blurb. Want to help others find the show? Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Every review will be thanked on the air, and any questions will be answered. We want this to be a conversation, so please send in your questions. We love hearing from you folks. Um, and then Ed and Dolly are over here to my left. How are you guys doing? What's been up lately? We're doing great. Yeah? Doing, yeah. Doing good? Having some fun? Finally got my car fixed, so nice. Yes, yes. My my car is on the perpetual disabled list, my, uh, so I understand that pain. Yeah. I really do. It's no longer a death trap. Oh, good. That's important. <laughs> I'm not as terrified of it as was before. <laughs> Can I tell you, my mom's now even terrified for driving underneath bridges. Oh, yeah. see, <laughs> she's like now, yeah, she's that, like my that mom. Whole, that whole oh, mess that down whole in thing. Miami. Oh yeah, That's and, terrible. and she's in, in Florida stuff. right now. But I was talking to her this morning. She goes, you know what? Now I'm like afraid to drive underneath bridges. And just mm-hmm. I said, take another pill. Take another Xanax. Take another Xanax. Second anxiety med. Oh dear lord. Uh, yeah, I'm not. I've never been fond of bridges myself, yeah. especially when there was that bridge collapse many years ago in, in Minneapolis, St. Paul. Over a major uh, river, river gorge. That did not sit well with the, me. The ones I don't like is heading from Tampa down to, um, like, Sarasota. It's okay. the one you're coming mm-hmm. uh, over, like, Tampa Bay and things like that, and you're just over the water the entire mm-hmm. time. And it was mm-hmm. like, no. See, I have more of a problem with tunnels. Oh, okay. you probably don't want to be locked in someplace. And if no. It... She likes there, there being a light under, at the end of the tunnel. Oh, yeah, it, I totally And then get not that. being an oncoming and train. something over, or something yeah. open over her head. Yeah. How about you, Billy? You, you, you were going to no, say? No, I was just, just regarding bridges. I, I just don't get the card game. <laughs> <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> then there was the, the, the Don Johnson show, Nash Bridges. Nash Bridges. Yeah, I didn't get yeah. that either. Yeah. Todd like, Bridges. Todd <laughs> Bridges. I'm afraid of Todd Bridges, too. I don't like going under Todd Bridges. It's just... It's oh. just... <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> Do we have music to go into our next segment? (laughs) (laughs) Different strokes for everybody. There you go. See? Yes. I love it. Billy, when Billy enables my sense of humor, I love it. Yes. Interesting story about Todd Bridges. Do tell your interesting story. Chris, every day. One of the guys I used to game with online Uh actually bowled with him. Oh, yeah? Bowled. Bowled. Yes. Billy bowls. I bowl. I didn't bowl with Todd Bridges, though. What you talking about, Willis? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. He hates that. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Bitch actually said that to him one time by accident. Uh Uh-huh. And and probably got a death stare for it. No, no, he didn't. It's just like, you know, 
please don't do that. It's, it's a little <laughs> old. He was very nice about well, it. That's and I good. guess he's really funny in person. But good. Who, who would have guessed that he's the one cast member still alive from that show? I know. Oh. Seriously, he was the you one know? with like, some deep-seated yeah. problems yeah. early on. But he's, he seems to be he's handling it. Yes, sir. He's doing his thing. Mm-hmm. All right. I'm I'm so excited for this interview. I can't even tell I, yeah, you. Yeah, I know. You're like giddy. The, ga- giddy the gaming geek in me is like dying for this. It's, it's a kid in a candy store. It seriously is. Sherry, Sherry made this happen for me. You've got really, dice out. I've got and... dice out. I've got my first edition player's handbook on the table in front of me. I have the the fifth edition player's handbook right in the next. Front to me, of we got me. like the you know the the, the beginning the and the end. The oldest to the newest. There you go. Oldest to newest. You guys can ask for autographs. <laughs> uh, I wish I could. If I you, don't if... know if they can do it through the phone. <laughs> I wish I could. But um, all right, so we're going to take a quick break. We're going to roll out, and then when we come back, Monkey Business is going to be chatting with D&D lead designer and editor Jeremy Crawford. And for now, we'll hear from comedian Kyle What's his name? Kyle Cease, an old-school video game. Oh, okay. As long as we're talking about games, yeah, absolutely. this is appropriate. Good deal. Oops, hold on one second. It helps if I do it right. <laughs> we are recording, He's right? He's pushing my buttons. Yeah, yeah, so far we are recording. Okay. Okay. Sorry, I, I didn't want to replay the music. Here we go. People have to do like corporate parties and they're like 97 years old and they're like, talk about World War II and crapping your pants. And I don't have jokes about either of those things because I've never been to World War II, but here's the thing. I know. I know. I'm very funny. Here's the thing, though. We have stuff in common. Like, right off the bat, who here, like me, owned the original Nintendo? The original. How How great. How great was the original Nintendo? They try to come out with their new systems, and the new systems are like, oh, look at me. I'm a new system. But the original Nintendo, I know, that's how it talks. But the original Nintendo was the best system ever because it's the only system that if it didn't work, you could fix it by blowing into it all day. You try to do it. You try to do it fast first when that didn't work so slow. Maybe it's the cartridge, which I don't know. Yes. Yeah. You know what the you know what the best part of Nintendo was? The codes. We had codes that got us to the end of the game immediately. Why can't we have that in real life? Just once I'd love to be on a date with a chick and when she starts talking about her cats and she's like, and this cat likes corn and this one eats gravy and this one had diarrhea, I can be like, up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, B, A, select, star, and I'm in bed with her, no more cats. To Dungeons and Dragons players, there are two names that we all pretty much know. It's Gary Gygax and Jeremy Crawford. Jeremy Crawford was hired by Wizards of the Coast in 2007 as a game designer. Jeremy is currently the lead designer and managing editor of the fifth edition of Dungeons & Dragons and is an author of the of many of the books. He also authors the monthly Sage Advice newsletter and is extremely active on Twitter, answering questions from players all over the world. Jeremy, thank you for your time, sir. Welcome to the show, and it is great to get a chance to meet you. It's great to be here. Uh, now... We were talking about this when when Sherry first brought to my attention that she had managed to land you coming to the the show to have this interview. The first thing we talked about is is you and, and Mike Merles are in essence the Gary Gygax and Dave Arneson of this generation. Um, so my first question is this: Do you guys like roll up stats for yourselves and have duels over who gets to be which one? <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> um, but uh, Mike and I have uh, been close collaborators mm-hmm. for. Uh, the full decade uh, that I've been at Wizards of the Coast, uh-huh. and if 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 
anything, the two people we sometimes get re- compared to are Captain Kirk and Mr. Spock. <laughs> <laughs> I will go with that. I will go with that. Yes. With, with usually with usually Mike uh, being uh, thought of as Captain Kirk and me as Mr. Spock. Okay, because so you're you're more methodical. You've got the the more logical approach, and, and Mike is more. Hey, can I sleep with her? No, I'm st- uh, that was oh. bad. No, that was terrible. <laughs> Don't laugh at that. That was bad. No. <laughs> wow, that was just a that, shot across the bow. What? <laughs> that, definitely not. <laughs> I know. We we. we we each take turns actually okay. being uh, methodical. Okay, and, good. Uh, we we each take turns uh, having sort of wild, imaginative flights. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but really, the roles we play is it it is sort of Mike's realm to often be thinking of wild new things, mm-hmm. and it is my job to take those things and shape them into the products that D&D players hold in their hands. Okay. All right. That's okay. I see so, that. So you're the mic. I would be the, the mic. Of the convention Right. Thing. And yeah. then my friend Dan, who's the president of our company, he would be he would be the you in this equation because my, my job is the – I come up with all the wild ideas, and then he's, his job is to try to figure out what's feasible and how it all fits together. Right, right. Okay. So that's a good relationship I can handle. Now um, – how how long have you been a player? Because you didn't just kind of like stumble into this thinking, oh, this sounds like it'll be fun. You you were a player for a long time, were you not? Uh, yes. So I started playing D&D back in first edition when mm-hmm. I was in elementary school. Uh, my sister played it before I did, and she said, okay, you've got to try this crazy game out. Uh-huh. And what's funny is when we first start playing it, I had no idea that there were even rules. Okay. Uh, one of the other kids, one of the other kids at the school, would run adventures for us. He would just describe things happening. Sometimes I think he was reading from uh, one of the modules that was out at the time. Other times he was just making things up, mm-hmm. and we would just make up what our characters did. We would just suddenly decide we all had magic vorpal swords, <laughs> and it was only years later that I realized, oh, there are rule books for this game. Hey, and wait a second. That, <laughs> yeah. that made me that made me uh, actually even more fascinated by the game than okay. there was uh, this shared language for people all over the world to play the same storytelling game and and build worlds in a way that uh, they could understand together from, you know, one game, tab- game table to the next. Mm-hmm. And so that, that turned into this Sort of love affair I had with D and D, going all the way back to again elementary school and continuing to this day. Okay. And he's not saying what year he was in elementary school. Well, then that's he's perfectly uh, <laughs> it's perfectly acceptable. So I that was 1995, so I was, right? I was, <laughs> right. I was I was I was born in the 70s. Yes. Uh, okay. Same here. Me too. Yeah. Yep. So yeah, definitely young enough to play first edition. There you go. Uh, as a matter of fact, my first uh, brush with it was I was given the red box w- mm-hmm. in, in 82, uh, and then huh, I didn't have anybody 83. to actually uh, play with until I got to college in, in 88, and, and that's when I found first edition. Well, it was AD&D at the time. I didn't start until 1992. Well, you know, late bloomers are still acceptable I, to the table. I that's know, fine. As long as you come to the and, table, and, we don't care I, when. I go through a draw when we don't play. I know. Oh, we God. still have it. We still have our regular games now. Do you get a chance to play, Jeremy? Are you so busy that you don't get that opportunity anymore? So I have a home D and D campaign that I run. In okay. fact, we had our most recent session just this past weekend, mm-hmm. uh, 
And so I have made sure to keep my D&D life going outside of work. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm actually very strict about my home game never including anything that we're currently working on. Okay. Uh, like we, I, I sort of frame my home game so that it's as much like uh, just a person on the streets D and D game as possible. Mm-hmm. We only use material that's uh, in our books or just stuff that I've made up as a DM. Right. Uh, as far as rules go, and then the adventures are all homebrewed, and it all takes place in my homebrew setting. Okay. So it gives me a chance to experience D and D the way everyone else gets to experience it. Okay. And I have found that. I'm still just as much of a fan of the game I work on as I was years ago uh, before it even occurred to me that it was possible for a person to have a job working on this game. <laughs> yeah, and I was going to ask you about that, as a matter of fact. How, uh, when, did, when was that, that moment that you realized you could actually make a living out of, in essence, playing D&D or, or working on D&D? So uh, I actually started out... Uh, working on RPGs as a freelancer. Mm -hmm. Uh, Many years ago, uh, I had a different career. Uh, I was working in web design. I was at uh, California College of the Arts uh, in San Francisco, overseeing all of the college's websites. But I started wanting to dive into this creative endeavor of writing uh, fantasy game material and also editing uh, fantasy game books. And so I started doing this as a freelancer. I was basically working around the clock because I would go home from my day job and then uh, write and edit in the evenings and on the weekends. And so over about a five-year period, uh, working uh, largely with the publishing house, uh, Green Ronin Publishing, I worked on a number of books, including co-designing Blue Rose, a role-playing game for them, uh, and built up this work and realized, wait a second. How about instead of doing this on all of my evenings and weekends, I try to make this my actual job. And it was around that time that Wizards of the Coast posted uh, an open position. And actually, it wasn't a design position. It was an editing position. So Mm -hmm. when I was first hired on at Wizards of the Coast, I was hired as an editor. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, But... It's important to point out that on D&D, especially back then, when we say editor, we're not talking about a copy editor. We're actually talking about a content editor, someone who brings the game material into its final form. Oh, wow. Uh, but that didn't last very long. Uh, mm-hmm. For After getting hired at Wizards and sort of uh, spending the first year pinching myself, not being able to believe <laughs> that this was actually a real job, uh-huh. uh, getting to work on D&D full-time. Uh, my job then started to change. It went from editor to then game developer until uh, now then designer. Uh, now, these days, we've actually erased most of those distinctions. These days, we actually call almost all of that work just design uh, oh, okay. because everyone engaged in those different roles is a part of the design of the game and of our books. But I have, I have to say, now approaching 11 years working full-time on D&D, I still, about once a week, will have a moment where I'm like, really? Do I get to do this still? It's kind of it's a magic that never really wears off. Oh, that's great. 
That is great. Now, um, my sense of timing is a little off. When you came on board, was fourth edition still a thing, or was was you starting to work towards fifth? So when I started at Wizards, it was actually at the very end of uh, 3.5. Okay. And in fact, uh, I worked on the very last third edition book and then moved from that to working on the fourth edition player's handbook. Okay. And so then I worked on all of fourth edition and then was uh, one of the people who oversaw uh, the creation of fifth edition. Okay. Okay. Well, I have to say, um, for for a long time, um, and you've probably heard this or not, but fourth edition was not, it wasn't as popular as, as other editions. Am I kind of in the right ballpark with the way that was received? Uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, so fourth edition had a large audience, especially mm-hmm. uh, for a tabletop role-playing game. Mm-hmm. But for an edition of D&D, it did struggle compared to the other editions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, there's been a lot of thought about why that was, but really the the simplest explanation for it, and, you know, I'm going to risk oversimplifying, mm-hmm. uh, was was that it just didn't feel like classic D&D enough for enough people. Okay. Uh, and so even though there was a lot that people liked about 4th edition, it was, it, it sort of was it just a bit too far from the the place of comfort, that sort of sweet spot where people feel like, yeah, this is this is what Dungeons and Dragons feels like. Right. You know, I might like a bunch of things in this game, but it's just ah, uh, it's not quite hitting the target. Right, and that's what we we. Um... We professional armchair quarterbacks, we kind of talked about amongst ourselves, those who had been playing the game for quite some time with different the earlier editions. Now, I will tell you, the, the first moment I picked up a fifth edition player's handbook, and I, I purchased it and I brought it home and I opened it up to the first pages and I started reading those, those first few entries, I, I, I can be a very sentimental person. Uh, you know, English major, theater, you know, the works. And mm-hmm. I read that introduction and I read some of the first openings and I'm like, I felt that vibe that I felt when I first opened up the Advanced Dungeons and Dragons Player's Handbook. I felt that vibe, that 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 knit, that that chill that went that back chill. through you. Exactly, it was that feeling like, oh my God, it's like coming home almost. It really, and the further I went into the book, the more I started reading what you'd done with the classes, and and how everything kind of meshed together, and how everything, the the flavor of it, I was like, holy Moses, this this he hit it. He hit it right out of the park with this stuff. It, I was so happy with the it, fifth edition. It seems like it has stream, oh. streamlined some of the stuff from mm-hmm. previous editions. It makes it well. See, here's the difference. I mean, because we have a we have a Pathfinder game, and I'm not sure if that's a, a, a dirty word in your office or not. But we have our Pathfinder game, which is great. It offers depth and complexity for veteran players. But to put a Pathfinder game uh, player's handbook, core rules book, in a, in a beginner's hands. They're lost. That's that's like torture. So this is nice. But then you give them fifth edition, and everything is is easy to figure, easy to read, streamlined. It's elegant, you know, if I may use that word. And, and it's just... It's got pretty pictures, too. And we've got... And, and <laughs> so... Yeah, got, Sorry. I actually, I heard a rumor that there was some artwork in the book that was produced by um, some local artists from, from Western New York. So that, I, I don't know if that's true or not, or even which, which pieces would be able to point out to. But I was like, okay, we have a local connection. Very good. Um, but I, I think if I can offer that compliment is that 5th edition really feels like the old homestead is back. You know, and and you could take oh, that thank you. Thank and and you. give it, to, and you're and you're sitting on on this edition, and it's D and D has come mainstream. 
It's, it used to be where all like we all the the table of geeks was, in the back of the library. Taboo. You know, it was and if you know as soon as you identified you were playing this game, then everybody would you know be open for public Throw holy ridicule. Water on you. Right. Um, you know, I remember being treated like that when I was in college many, 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 many years ago. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, now we've got a like, critical role and all these other podcasts that are coming up. We're planning on doing one of our own. We just started a Twitch stream recently for our company. Um, you oh, know, and, great. and all these people are talking about it. And and you, I hear him. I hear folks talking about games that they're involved in while I'm at the bookstore, just mm -hmm. idly walking mm -hmm. down, up and down. Yeah. And I'm going to share this anecdote with you. And, and this just happened recently. There is there's um, a game shop in town. It's very popular. It's out by by Tanya's house in one of our suburbs, and and I went and did a monthly visit. And I'm walking down the D and D aisle, and there's an older couple. I, I literally I, I put them 60s or 70s at the very least, oh, and they're looking at saying. books. And of course, here I'm I'm making assumptions. I made an assumption that they were probably there to buy something for somebody, like maybe get a gift for a grandkid or whatnot. But as I'm walking past, the, the wife looks to the husband and goes, can I be the wizard this time? <laughs> and, and he was like, oh, yeah, abso absolutely, absolutely. Did you yeah. do a double take? Yeah, I did a double take. And, she, and, the, and the husband's like, oh, yeah, absolutely. I wanted to try a rogue anyway. And, and I'm just I'm listening to the two of them, and I'm getting the biggest kick out of it. And I'm like, I'm going to be talking to Jeremy Crawford soon. I want to tell him this story. <laughs> so, <laughs> that, that that's marvelous. great. So I just I got yeah. a well, and, big kick out of that. And and we are we are finding more and more that you know people of all ages and mm -hmm. all walks of life are are dipping their toes into D and D. You know, many people thought, oh, that's a game for those other people, and, right. and people thankfully are starting to see, no, this is really a game that everyone can enjoy. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, of course, even back in first edition, the player base was wonderfully diverse, mm -hmm. but. It was, but that fact was often invisible to people outside the D and D community. So I think really what's happening is this awareness is growing that this community is diverse and there's room for anybody who wants to engage in this high fantasy role playing uh, to to give it a try. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, ask a mundane question: What's your favorite class to play? So it's a tie for me, and this has been true going all the way back to first edition. Mm -hmm. And that my, my two favorite classes to play are wizard and cleric, and I have, I basically alternate between them. Okay. Uh, uh, I mean, really, the the unifying theme is I I love playing spellcasters. Uh, although that said, there are times, especially when we're doing playtesting, that I love switching over to fighter or barbarian or rogue or. Mm -hmm. or or any of the other classes just for a change of pace. And also, especially when I'm in sort of have my game designer hat on to make sure uh, I have a firsthand experience with how every class in the game functions. Right. But when my, when my game designer hat is off and it's just, I'm a gamer and I'm sitting down to make a character, uh, my mind always goes first to, well, which, which type of wizard or cleric am I going to make <laughs> this time? Wow, you are, he is your your spirit animal oh, type thing. You, you have a tendency to... No, I do. Seriously, I stick to casters. He sticks to casters. Right now you have a druid wizard. Yes. That, mm -hmm. That's um, a long time aberration that I've played with. Uh, even since first edition, I kind of or would mix and match. wizard to do uh, a third. Well, it's usually the druid, druid wizard. And I called him a geomancer. Mm -hmm. I had this whole Jedi-esque kind of theme to them. Um, oh, but, great. Yeah, yeah. But, but truly, I think people have a tendency to just gravitate 
tour and stick with primarily like one type of class because they, mm-hmm. they that's the one that they enjoy playing and things like that. I know for me, it's like usually uh, a spell caster, caster, like a cleric or a wizard or mm-hmm. a sorcerer or whatever. But then like I will dip my toes back into the fighter when I just don't want to have to think and keep track of anything. I can just go and smash and, and hit everything and not have to worry about yeah. the storyline. Go ahead, Sherry. See, I'm a little more all over the place. I mean, my favorite characters are rogues, but I've wizards, druids, fighters, clerics. I'm a little more all over the place other than my love for thieves. Mm -hmm. See, I always like being the support guy. I, I love being you see a. See what everyone else needs. Yeah, because and then you jump well, we have so anywhere. many min maxers at the table more often than not. So We've I let them go ahead the and. Table. Yeah, well, we have a table of eight, Jeremy, and I don't know if that's. <laughs> do you, do you do you find yourself in, with large? I mean, I always see that the, the the modules are set for four to five characters, but then when you have these tables that are eight nine people, it's it's just it's wow. It can be mind numbing sometimes. Well, in, in in my in my home game, I have seven players. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and I I. I often actually have larger groups. Uh, also, when I DM at conventions, mm-hmm. and one one of the things I I love about DMing Fifth Edition is sort of like First and Second Edition. It's a little easier to have larger groups than it was in Third and Fourth Edition. Oh yeah. So I've I've even had I think I think nine players might be the most I've done in uh, in Fifth Edition. But yeah, right now I have seven. There was a time I played, again, back in college is when I started learning with AD&D, and, and second edition was just kind of starting to trickle into the horizon. Um, but I was at uh, an event that we had on campus where there were two DMs and 26 players. Ow. Yeah. Wow. That was, it was, it was an interesting, it was an interesting weekend. And, and of course, there was also an equal amount of beer. <laughs> so there was, because, you know, you have to play it the right way. Um but yeah, I've always been the support guy because I, I always try to fill those niches and make sure that the rest of the party is not like stepping too far across that red line and, and bring them back, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so, all right. So you and I are both casters. I, I'm, I'm So there we go. We're twins separated by birth or something like that. Um, what I have a, a couple of just regular questions, stuff that was put to me um, by the prep crew, our, our, my favorite producer who's on the phone with us today. Uh, and uh, one of them is, what do you think is your biggest success so far in regards to D&D? So the thing that has pleased me most is it connects to something I was talking about earlier, and that is that so many people now feel like there's a place for them at the D&D table. Uh, that, that probably more than anything else, when I go to conventions, when I talk to people online, when people tell me their stories of, this is a game I was always interested in, but mm-hmm. I felt like, uh, you know, this this is for those other guys and not for me. But now I feel like I can try it. Uh, I just love that. Uh, okay. It it makes me feel so happy uh, because then it it really drives home that in addition to this being a type of entertainment, D and D is also a wonderful uh, way to spark friendships. Mm-hmm. It's a way for people to engage with their own creative interests by telling stories and building worlds and, you know, conjuring up gods uh, in, in these, in these sometimes whole cosmoses that they create for the games that they're, that they're running. Uh, I love that I've been able to help create this environment where people can engage with this, with these, this 
sort of friendship-making engine, this creative fire, mm-hmm. uh, it's very gratifying. And, and that's, and like I, we were talking about earlier, it's how it's been going mainstream. I see all these articles talking about how gaming has affected people's lives, how it's brought folks together, as you've said. And then I see other applications where, uh, you know, they're reaching out to autistic children because it gives them that opportunity to kind of come out of their comfort zone in a safe place. You know, and they can they can learn to problem solve and, and expand on social skills. Uh, it's it's important to me because I have a very dear friend of mine whose whose seven year old son is autistic, and so she has been asking me questions about eventually getting him into gaming, and and he's apparently he's looking forward to it from what I'm being told. So this, you you got these different little microcosms all coming together under the umbrella of this one player's handbook. It's 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 amazing to see. Yeah, yeah, and just just a few weekends ago, I was down in the Bay Area. And uh, had had the privilege of getting to DM uh, for the D and D club at my niece's school, and at at the school they have this uh, wonderful D and D after school program. Mm-hmm. And the teacher was telling me that uh, playing the game has really helped a number of the kids, uh, you know, both socially and also with problem solving, uh, math, reading, etc. And for me, I just got to come in and just have a ball uh, being the DM for these wildly creative kids. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's phenomenal. That's it. Dolly, did you have a question? Yeah, I actually have a question Go as well, because we're talking about it going mainstream and it being in the mainstream media. Mm-hmm. How did you feel about seeing it on that the Netflix hit um, Stranger, Stranger Things? Things? How did oh, you feel when you um, saw it there? Uh, totally totally delightful, mm-hmm. uh, not only just because I love to see our game, uh, you know, appearing places like that, but in Stranger Things in particular, I loved it being there because those kids remind me of me and my friends, uh, because that is, we were about that age when we were playing. And in fact, in my current home D&D group, I, one of my players, my friend Andy, uh, he and I have been playing D&D together mm-hmm. since basically we were those kids. Uh, so it, it was almost like, you know, personal for me seeing that show. So I, I loved it. So how many jokes of the Demo Gargon comes out in the middle of the gaming table? <laughs> so, you know, it's funny. The Demo Gorgon has never actually really been a big thing for us. So, <laughs> I'd never encountered one in no. 30 years. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, yeah, like... Yeah. Now that's the jo- running gag. Yeah, that's the running table. gag. And your and your husband will keep. He has a figure. He figure. he'll bring it out once in a while too. But we never actually fight one. No, you just yeah, threaten yeah. TMI I mean, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, Demogorgon is a big deal for us in my work. You know, because we. I mean, even you know, Demogorgon that appeared in uh, Out of the Abyss, uh, one of our uh, adventures within the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it's funny as a. As a DM going all the way back to first edition, I have never run a game with uh, Demogorgon in it. Um, but still, of course, uh, seeing Demogorgon in Stranger Things is still resonant because yeah. it, it sparks these memories of having the first edition monster manual and seeing Demogorgon in it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, you got some time for some fan questions. We were talking up that we were going to be talking to you this week, and so we had a lot of people saying, oh, hey, ask him this, ask him this. Absolutely. All right. Now, the first one is, is what is your favorite character you've played in a campaign? You've, you mentioned how you're, you're partial to wizards and clerics, but is there one particular character who is like your, your go-to? This is Jeremy Crawford's guy. Yes. Uh, my favorite character is a character I've actually played many times. Mm-hmm. Uh, his name is Cornelius, 
and he is actually this semi-divine being who keeps forgetting who he is and being <laughs> reborn in different D&D worlds. And so this nice. is this is the story for how I can keep remaking him as a first level character. <laughs> so what's funny, nice. What, That's awesome. What what's funny is he every time he reappears, he always reappears as an old man. So even though he's first level, he still looks like this wizened, you know, wizard or cleric and because his also his class changes, but okay. he's always either a wizard or a cleric. Uh, and he also has a a pet owl who, when he's a wizard, it, that owl is his familiar. Uh-huh. And actually, often in his rebirths, he and the owl switch names. Oh, so, that's great. Because this, this is how befuddled he is, is he forgets sometimes which name is his and which name is the owl. So <laughs> the owl's name is Simeon, but sometimes the wizard is named Simeon and the uh-huh. owl is Cornelius. So it, it goes back and forth. I love it. And see, that's that's, that's the great. kind of storytelling fla- flavor that it just that makes the game right there for me. It's the Doctor Who of D and D. It is. It really is. <laughs> it's slightly different, but it's still kind of the core is yeah. there. That's great. Uh, mm-hmm. What is the best campaign you have ever played, and what made it the best? Wow. Uh, so, so I have to confess, I don't actually get to play D and D. Uh, much because mm-hmm. I'm almost always the DM. Oh, okay. Uh, but I would say in in the last decade, my favorite campaign that I got to play in was Chris Perkins' fourth edition campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, we we played that at the office uh, for pretty much the whole run of fourth edition, and it was a it was a great time. Um, as anyone knows who's seen uh, Chris DM, he's a marvelous dungeon master. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was also it, that that campaign was a kind of crazy meat grinder. And I think by the end, every character had died uh, at least once, except for my character. I was <laughs> we, we figured out at the end at the end of this five year campaign, I think my character was the only person who had managed to survive all the way from first level. Um, but yeah, it was it was great. It was crazily epic, uh, and and Chris did a great job mm-hmm. of really leveraging the superheroism that was a part, especially of high level fourth edition play. Okay. Yeah, I've in recent like the past year or two, I've been watching a lot of Chris on on YouTube and Matt Mercer. Uh, these two guys have become basically my my idols in terms of being a dungeon master. Um, <laughs> right. Uh, it's it's it's. Well, and what's, Go ahead. I'm sorry. What what a lot of people don't know is that Chris is also a delightful player because I'm actually his dungeon master. So oh, yeah. He, Chris, yeah, Chris plays in my home D and D game, awesome. uh, and he plays he plays this wily rogue, uh, and it is always surprising me in good ways with the wacky stuff that his rogue does. And I think that's one of the great things about it is you, Gary before you and all of the, the editors before you and, and you included uh, have always made it very clear. This book, this player's handbook is not set in stone. This is not cement. This is the guidelines. This is, you know, this is to help adjudicate your imagination, but let your imagination just roll, just go suggest things. And then, Absolutely. hey, if, if we have to roll dice, roll, roll dice and figure it out from there. Um, you know, Tanya's husband, Randy, has been one of our main DMs. I'm also a main DM for our table. Uh, but we're both we both to say, hey, you make a suggestion, uh, roll the dice, see what happens. You know, it's it's the best way to look at it. 
I haven't had the pleasure yeah, of yeah. DMing again with you. You have not DM. You have not DM. Yeah, I think that needs a switch. I have a span of a gnat. I I can do it about mm, three four months and then my ADD kicks in and I'm like, okay, I'm done. My current campaign's about a year old. So yeah. So no, but no, it's like I've DM'd, but it's really hard Mm -hmm. when you DM the Wexlers when they go two different directions. Oh, it's there is. We have a tenth alignment at our table. Uh, There's there's chaotic good, chaotic neutral, chaotic evil, and chaotic Wexler. It's the last name of these this father daughter (laughs) combination. And uh, they, they go two different directions. <laughs> and I think, and they don't oh. plan it, but they do it anyway. It's just, I tell you. So it, it's like Sherry trying to herd the cats that oh, are in the studio. Oh, it's terrible. Nailing Jello to a tree. <laughs> it is, Sherry. I'm sorry. But, but uh, no. It, so, no, it's like, it, I don't know. I've just like, I just don't have like a, a, a huge grasp on all the rules and the background mm-hmm. and things like that in order to stick with it and well, to do all that type of stuff. And I'm like, I've, I'm not a big like create my home uh, home type of mm-hmm. stuff. I mm-hmm. would primarily use modules and things like that, but I'm just like well, it's a, it's a collaborative process. And and you know when we started this campaign that I've been DMing for a year, it was our first fifth edition campaign at this table, and and you know all of us agreed we're like, hey, this is our first this is our run with it. Experience. So even if the DM has to say, give me a second, you stop for a moment, you you go to the book, you know, like you start looking for what you, oh you find the information you need, you move on. It's it's just you know everybody just communicate. That's we, all. Can we give you one suggestion? We're going to give them a suggestion? Go ahead. In the next run of the the printing of the books, can you make the page numbers just a little darker for us people that are old? (laughs) You know, it is is actually funny how often we actually get that request. (laughs) So we're not the only ones who noticed it. You've got beautiful, colorful pictures and everything, but just, and and the pages are beautiful, and I love that it has like this old parchment feel to it, but. I'm sorry, I can't read the little numbers in the corners, especially in our dark basement. That's what you get bifocals yeah. for at our reach. I do have them, but I'm going to have to like put them a little darker. But okay. That would be my only critique, darker uh, numbers on the pages. I'm going to go back to the fan questions now, Tanya. Tanya hey, Page. I'm a fan. That's going to be your new, num- your new name at the table, Tanya Page Number. No, I'm Tanya Fabulous. Get That's it. Okay. <laughs> Um, okay, another question. Uh, Fan questions. When adding things to 5th edition like subclasses, monsters, items, etc., how much of the process is looking backwards to previous concepts in D&D to add what people know into the mix versus just doing something totally new? Wow. Ah, that's a great question. It, I like that one. So it is, it is, it's a mix. Mm-hmm. So uh, we are constantly going back to previous editions mm-hmm. to see... Is there something yeah. beloved that we haven't brought forward yet? Mm-hmm. Uh, so we want to, you know, make sure we bring forward as many of the great things from previous editions as possible. But as you can imagine, because uh, you know we're designers, we're always, always, you know, either experimenting with things in our own D and D games or just letting our imaginations, uh, you know, play. We also have the new things we want to do. But what's interesting is even when we create a new thing. We still go back to the previous editions to see, all right, we have this idea. Has it actually been done before, but was maybe called something else? Mm-hmm. Uh, and if so, is there some inspiration we can get from the previous editions for how we implement this new thing? Is there maybe some connective tissue we can create between that old thing and the new thing so it the new thing actually still feels like it's growing out of the same soil as the original thing, mm-hmm. because we want we want even our new things to feel like they're totally at home 
next to something that has maybe been in the game for 40 years uh, because it's always important to us that D&D going forward not only feel like it's fresh, it's alive, it's constantly sprouting new things, Mm -hmm. but that it also has that wonderful feel of the game that some of us started playing, you know, back in the 70s. Mm -hmm. Wow. I I like... um how a lot of the, the the basic like the magic items have been streamlined so you don't have plus five plus six plus 29 you know craziness it's plus one plus two plus three right so you can kind of like right. if right. you know for the regular mmo players out there you've got your green your blue and your purples in terms of your your magic item mm-hmm. quality and and it's helped really balance everything i you know when i first started opening up and looking at the math of a fifth edition i was like oh wait that doesn't but and then the, it started clicking and i'm like okay this is really cool and, and it, it makes uh, everything a little bit easier to deal with, and you know you don't have like I think one of the downfalls of third edition was when you're in the epic epic levels, you know the paperwork involved was was amazing, and so you're you're oh I'm plus fifty three to hit, and I'm but my armor class is only at twenty two. I mean wait a minute, I'm just going to get clobbered. Yes, <laughs> but you know you've got this new kind of kind of feel to it where everything is a little bit more balanced right down the middle, and I I, I enjoy that. That's that makes it easier for me as a DM. Oh, good, good to hear. And what, what's interesting there is we certainly had a, a mathematical motivation for uh, bounding the, the game's numbers uh, quite a bit in 5th mm-hmm. edition. But I will have to say that math and game balance weren't actually our main motivators. The main motivation for us for what we did with the numbers in 5th edition was actually a storytelling motivation. It was important to us, particularly when looking at uh, things like ability scores, that people could see a range of scores and have a sense of what those numbers mean in the world of D&D, that there would actually be a story associated with those numbers. Here's what I mean by this. Mm-hmm. We, put a cap, here's a, we put a cap in place on ability scores of 30. And this is just one of many examples of why we did some of the math things that we did. By putting a cap in place, by saying the highest ability score anybody in the entire multiverse of Dungeons & Dragons can have is a 30, what that suddenly does is it means that all of the numbers now have meaning. Because mm-hmm. if you can say, well, the highest score that a human can have is a 20, well, then that actually then gives you a sense of what an 18 means. That gives you a sense of what a 10 means, mm-hmm. because you now suddenly are within a bounded field. Whereas if the numbers could just go on forever, like I could have a thousand strength, mm-hmm. it becomes very difficult for anyone to imagine, well, who in the real world would be somebody with an 18 intelligence when there are also people in the world with a 500 intelligence? Yeah. Uh, but, but if suddenly <laughs> the highest intelligence a normal human can have is 20, you suddenly can imagine what a person in the real world would be like who has an intelligence of 18. So it's giving those parameters to give you that relatability. Exactly. Awesome. That, that relatability, great. so that which then makes it easier for a dungeon master to role play mm-hmm. uh, particular monsters and NPCs. It makes it easier for players uh, to get a sense of sort of where they are on the spectrum in terms of how strong they are, how charismatic they are. Mm-hmm. Uh, it 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 also means that you can move on once you've maxed something out. Because the normal maximum of an ability score is 20, mm-hmm. you will, if you play all the way to level 20, uh, you're going to often hit 
that maximum, especially in your main ability score, pretty early on in your career, or at least in the midpoint of your career, mm-hmm. which then means your character can diversify because we also wanted characters uh, to be a little more well-rounded, to encourage more role-playing, mm-hmm. to be actually a bit more like full-fledged people in our in our experience, in our world, where we all have various interests. You know, it, it's actually rare to meet somebody who is good at only one thing. Yeah. Uh, you know, we all have we all have a variety of things we're interested in that we toy around with. And so, again, we wanted to encourage characters also that are a little more well-rounded, which is another outcome of us capping the numbers. Mm-hmm. And that fits into my personal play style. I mean, I've, I've sat at tables where they were just pure tactics. All right. Roll initiative. Mm-hmm. Kill the monster, grab the grab the loot, get the XP, move on. Kill the monster, rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. Whereas you're and a storyteller. I love a storyteller. I, I have a game world that I've been working on myself that whenever I DM, I put my players into. I've been at it for like almost 25, 26 years myself. And I know where all the good stories are, so I want to lead the, the players to where those are so that they can go ahead and experience these things. And then I make and this big sandbox. Yeah, they, they, and then they go off in an entirely different direction, which is fine, because I'm ready for that. I really... <laughs> <laughs> Are you sure? Sometimes. Okay. Um, you know, so, it, and that's just, I, I don't know, it, it makes that, that's its accessibility factor. Mm. You know, that's that whole thing there. Um, cool. Okay. Uh, another question. Uh, here's another, a nice little brass text kind of mechanical question. Uh, what school of magic is a ring of spell storing when it's empty? Oh, uh, so the magic item wouldn't then have a school of magic. Okay. Uh, it's yeah. empty. Yeah, yeah. Just, well, that's what I thought, too, but I figured, you know, just in case he had something up his sleeve, I wanted to know about it. Um, no, no, yeah. All right. That's an in, in, interesting like, question. I thought so. Uh, hey, you know, we, we compiled whatever was asked of us. Yeah. Uh, and uh, now another one. Which class and archetype is the closest to the World of Warcraft shaman? So the one that I would say, especially now with the release of Xanathar's Guide to Everything, uh, that would be closest to that. Nope, nope. Actually, it's funny. I started answering this question, and you said shaman, and I was actually thinking of the fourth edition shaman. Okay. <laughs> so I was about to say, oh, there's the Circle of the Shepherd in Xanathar's Guide to Everything, mm-hmm. which is a which is actually related to the fourth edition shaman. Gotcha. So now let me reorient my mind, World of Warcraft. I haven't thought about the World of Warcraft shaman in a long, long time. So an elementalist. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I would say a one, one great way to emulate uh, the World of Warcraft shaman would be with a Circle of the Moon druid oh. who eventually gains the ability to turn into elementals and also druids have on their spell list uh, the ability to summon elementals. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that would be that would be one way uh, you could try to recreate uh, that WoW class in D and D. Very cool. Is that one of your questions, Chris? No, okay. I, all these questions. I, the, mine's coming last, and, but so I wanted to get the fans out first because they're they're my my peoples. I gotta, I gotta but, but take care of my people. But you play World of Warcraft. I so do. Therefore, I was... fourteen years I've been playing that damn game. <laughs> all right. Um, Here's another one. Do you conserve momentum through a teleportation spell? For example, could you save yourself from falling by casting Dimension Door? Oh, okay. I, I love this question. This question actually comes up uh, at least a couple of times a year. So the rules are silent on this issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, as a DM, 
had the general philosophy of being very generous toward creative play. Mm-hmm. And I have had players before who have done this. You know, they're, they're falling hundreds and hundreds of feet, and at the last minute, you know, they teleport over to a ledge, and, and poof, they're safe. Yeah. And so the, the way I tend to DM it is that uh, that momentum uh, is, is basically erased by uh, the teleportation. Uh, gotcha. But that's just... But that's just my call mm. as the dungeon master. Mm-hmm. The, the rules, the rules are silent. Um, and so, really, if a person if a person was very strict with themselves about running the game, uh, you know, by the letter of the law rather than by the spirit of the law, uh, I would have to say because because the teleportation spells don't say they stop uh, the momentum. Right. Then, by sort of the letter of the law, they don't. Uh, and the person would splat on the other side of the <laughs> teleportation. But, I, but, but again, I, as a DM, am, have always been, and you know, not just because I'm, I'm the lead rules designer now, I've mm-hmm. always been a, a sort of spirit of the law kind of uh, dungeon master. And, and again, Same. the spirit for me is, is reward, reward the person who comes up with a clever way uh, to use one of their abilities. I'm I'm good with that, and, and I'll tell you my my anecdote for that is the very first time this ever became an issue was soon after the very first Star Trek reboot movie came out, and there's that scene where where Kirk and Sulu are they're falling, oh, and mm-hmm. Chekhov is trying to to rescue them and in, in, with the transporter, mm-hmm. and they slam into mm-hmm. the transporter pad, and then they get up and they're like, okay, let's not do that. So I use that as my reference because it, it finally came up about like six or seven months after that movie came out, where somebody tried to save themselves with the teleport, and I'm like, well. They didn't splat at, at terminal velocity mm-hmm. into the, tele- the transporter pad, so I'm going to use right. that that frame of reference from another story to mm-hmm. to basis my decision. So, uh, you know, respect the spirit of the laws, as, as you were saying. Uh, I have a question. Go ahead. Yeah. Ask uh, your question. What was the um, deciding factor to uh, pull back <laughs> on the haste spell? Oh, I knew you were going to ask him about haste. I was going to ask him about haste <laughs> compared to earlier editions. Come on. <laughs> Haste is broken. So, okay, haste it needed, is broken. It needed to be it, fixed. It's, it's been it broke again. I wasn't. I was a little shocked when it, I opened no, the book really, for haste. No, it, it is a pretty powerful spell to begin with in mm-hmm. earlier editions, and I can understand the the logistics around it. But why? Yeah, <laughs> when we when we were working on not only haste but actually a number of uh, traditionally very powerful spells. Uh, we had we had a double goal, and that was make sure that these things are still really saucy, and spellcasters are going to be happy to cast them, but also rein them in. In any case where a spell in previous editions had gotten to the point where it was basically so powerful it was upstaging everyone else at the game table, or was grinding play to a halt as everyone got to watch the spellcaster for 10 minutes do whatever it was they were doing with their spell. Mm -hmm. Uh, And also we wanted to rein those spells in that were either so powerful or so complex, they were just slowing the whole game down and making it kind of a slog for everybody at the table. So haste got reined in because it it was sort of a grandstanding spell where it's like, now we're all going to watch the spellcaster have fun for a while. <laughs> um, and Or or whoever was the beneficiary mm-hmm. of, uh, of haste. Um, 
And so that that is something that affected, again, a number of spells in the game where it was important to us for the spell to, again, still be exciting, but not so exciting that it was was stealing the spotlight from everything else in the game. Yeah. And also another concern of ours is sort of then a, a, a third concern is we wanted to make it so that you never felt like you had to pick as a spellcaster certain spells that like the, you know, spell X is so good. I would be a fool for not picking it. Yeah. Uh, we wanted to make it so that there were, was always an array of choices where you had multiple good options and to create that array of good choices that meant we needed to we needed to pull back on the power of a few classic spells. Yeah, I think I should have just read haste before I took it and yeah, wrote it. Yeah, cuz you took my, it automatically. I just took it and automatically. And then you looked at it like wait a second. I'm like, "Wait." See, but, for me, the the big I was like, darn it. But I did use it last mm-hmm. time and it it did I'm like I still am going to keep it in my wizard spellbook, yeah. but but I did use it <clears throat> tactfully. Yeah. In, regards, cool with it. Mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. regards to uh, Sean's character, but I'm like, okay, now mental note: read all the spells before you put two more in your spell book. There you go. Yes, I did that. <laughs> I did that tonight. I took uh, dispel magic and win well. See, oh, and there you go. <laughs> there. Yeah. Now, way way back in the day in first edition, I remember when when the party wizard would cast chain lightning, we would all get up and you know go make a sandwich and. <laughs> We're like, okay, are we done Because he's going to be rolling. Okay, now you're going to be rolling. Now you're going to be rolling again. Now you're going to be rolling again. All right. So while he's doing that, oh, yeah, we're all like 24th, 25th level. Yeah, he's going to be rolling 25 times. We'll be over here making a sandwich and ordering pizza. Okay. So, yeah. So ever, if there's ever spells that need to be nerfed, that was that was definitely that one got nicely chain lightning. Yeah, chain lightning got got nerfed pretty good, and that was it was necessary. So thank you for uh, clarifying the whole thing about haste. In <laughs> Um, I've got one other fan question and then one of my own. Um, but the first one, the fan question, what happens if you eat a bag of beans? <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, oh, wow. That's a good question. I started Bad-ass. laughing the moment I read it. It's yeah. not It's not your average taco night, Tanya. It's... Yeah, no, and I I am always amazed uh and, and, and delighted at how often I get questions about consuming things. So, yes, I'm sure. <laughs> they must be a halfling. Yeah, or because or, I also get a lot of questions about what happens when, like, the druid turns into a mouse and the orc eats the mouse and then the druid returns back to his regular form. So, yeah. You know, just there's a lot of strange eating going on in people's <laughs> D&D campaigns. I have seen uh, so, it. So the the bag of beans themselves <laughs> obviously don't tell us what happened. So this is mm-hmm. going to have to, in many ways, I'm going to have to punt on this question because it's so, so. this is entirely up to the DM. What insanity <laughs> is going to happen when you eat one of these magic beans? <laughs> Maybe they turn into one of the bright pink toads. I don't know. I don't know. But yeah, that that that's there was always time where you need to basically arm the DM with go ahead, have fun. That's just the best uh, basically right. the best like, way to do it. Do you right. dare make me roll on the insanity chart? Yeah. <laughs> well, Touched it, me. that's another yeah. thing. I you know, they had them in first edition and then it, that those rules disappeared or I just didn't find it but the miscability of of mixing and matching potions. potions and whatnot. Mm-hmm. I I when I found those rules in fifth edition, I was like, "Oh god, they're back. Yay." Cuz cuz I had yeah. people who would yeah. do that. They would drink these five oh, or six yeah. potions before a 
fight thinking, okay, everything's going to be fine. They're not realizing they're just putting a time bomb in their stomach. Or Randy is the DMs like, are you imbibing it like right after the other one? We're like, oh, no, 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 no. We're going to wait five minutes. Yes. Like, we know better. He's like, just make that wish. Go ahead. So while you two were just now talking about miscability, I, I actually I grabbed my Dungeon Master's Guide, okay. uh, which is this is what I always do. I always reach for the books and looked up Bag of Beans, and I was like, oh, wait, this is right. The way we wrote it, we actually hedged out the possibility of this craziness happening in your stomach uh, <laughs> because because we specifically say the beans only take effect if you plant them okay, uh, and, and, and in dirt and water them. Uh, so... The DM, of course, could still, as I said before, decide something crazy happens in your belly. Uh, but uh, the way the way the magic item is written, uh, mm-hmm. these these wonderful effects only occur uh, if you actually plant the the beans. Read yeah. the blah blah yeah, blah. Yeah, it says if you dump the bag's yeah. contents out on the ground, uh-huh. they explode. And then it says, well, that's how, yeah, that's how you get the explode. Right. Uh, the explosion. Uh, but then to get the other effects, you have to plant them. Okay. So. So the person's yeah. safe because it hasn't been planted. There you go. Unless it's like an uh, uh, earth elemental or that you're feeding it to. Yeah, well, you know, again, <laughs> DM, DM gets to interpret and have some fun with that at this point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we, we have this okay, uh, catchphrase. I, I, go ahead. I'm sorry. I have to say I absolutely love the fact that you grabbed your, your book to, to look that up. <laughs> yeah. That's <Yeah>. awesome. <laughs> as soon as he said I just grabbed my DM's guide, I, I thrust both arms in the air. I'm like, yes! <laughs> We have we are a catchphrase at our table, Jeremy. It's read the blah blah blahs because we have people who will read just enough information on a on an entry to get what they want out of it, not realizing that if they had read just a couple more sentences, that that would have answered further questions or have denied them the way they wanted to twist something. Or, or, or read the yeah, punctuation yeah. in yeah. the description. The punctuation is just as important. Yes. So, you know, and, yeah, and yeah. then we have our our buddy who who originated the alignment of chaotic Wexler. His first name is Evan. Evan it's Evantar Rulesbender. Yeah, Evantar Rulesbender is his character name. No matter what he's playing or what he chooses, that's what we name him. We so, love you, Evan. <laughs> sure, we do. <laughs> well, and I I constantly reach for my books, mm-hmm. uh, especially actually if 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 we were talking about something that I wrote myself. Uh, my my hand would be twitching even more than normal to reach for the books because I often will work on so many different versions of something. Mm-hmm. I can't trust that what I'm remembering is what we published, mm-hmm. or it might have been version one, version mm-hmm. two, version three, I version bet. four. So What's I draft? have to go to the book to make sure what's in my head matches what you're actually seeing uh, in in your D&D books. And I think that's also like from the player's standpoint, we're like, well, I'm going to do blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. It should do this. And they're like, well, go back and read that spell. And I'm like, oh, crap, that was a third edition spell yeah. or three, five or, or whatever. <laughs> I'm like, right. crap, it doesn't. And so I have to go go back and look, it, especially like the protection from energy and mm-hmm. how they, mm-hmm. it's now a little bit. it's now resistance to it, which is, I think, only five off. Whereas like in yeah, previous the, ones. Is resistance was, five points off or half of the damage? Oh, resistance uh, has the damage. Yeah, very has. powerful. Exactly. So, and that was, that's good stuff. So knowing that, whereas in previous editions it mm-hmm. was ten times your character level was right. damage that was right, right. taken off. So it's like re- reading that particular aspect too as a player. So now we've got 
the core books you have monster manual dm's guide players handbook now it's xanathar's guide to everything has has joined the the clutch uh then you have your adventure books um morgan canaan's tome of foes is that the one that's on the horizon now yes yep that comes out in may i'm so looking forward to that one xanathar's has been has been a riot to read not only does it have a lot of great information to it but i love the little the little blurbs that xanathar himself puts in these little observations from the the mind of a a beholder and they're just i laugh i I will open the book just to look yeah i will him with his goldfish silgar um just the little add-ins that he throws in for every little class, every little you know, every couple of pages you see a drop in from Xanathar, and I'm just laughing my butt off reading those. So that 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 book is oh. brilliant. The Tomb of Annihilation and, uh, board game yeah, scares that, me. Th- those little quotes are a delight, and those were those were written by uh, a writer on our staff. His name is Matt Cernet, and his his regular job is to be our lore master. He mm-hmm. makes sure that when we say something about a place in the Forgotten Realms that we actually know what we are what we're talking about. Nice, uh, but he's also real. He's also really good at sort of getting into the head of one of these prominent NPCs and writing quotes for them. So he wrote he wrote almost all of the Xanathar's quotes in Xanathar's Guide to Everything, and he also wrote uh, most of the Mordenkainen's quotes in Mordenkainen's Tome of Foes. I'm looking forward to that. Looking forward to that yeah. very much. Are we able to use this book in your campaign, Morgan Canaan, or no, the Xanathar book? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm comfortable enough with Fifth Edition now that you guys can start bringing in some other source material. I need to borrow that. You need to borrow that. Yes. You want me to bring it to your house sometime? Yes, please. Maybe. Oh, come on. Tuesday, please. <laughs> Tuesday, sure. <laughs> I, I don't know. I I have a level in Wizards that I want to peruse for my birthday. So. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, the, the last fan question is going to be come from me directly, Jeremy. Um, as I've mentioned before in, in my earlier conversation, there's always this this one character class that I've kind of mixed and matched to to create a vibe. And I've, I've called it the Geomancer over the years. It's part druid, part wizard. In certain rule sets, it's been a little easier than others. Like with third edition, you know, when you gave us the Mystic Thurge, uh, it just kind of blended the whole thing together very easily. Um, mm-hmm. I'm noticing in fifth edition, it's a little harder to kind of fit together the way I've always wanted it to. So my thought was, and I have a buddy of mine who's who's one of the min-maxers, but he's good at kind of figuring out good math and whatnot. Scott? It, it, yeah. Uh, is to create kind of an archetype of druid that's a little bit more involved in spellcasting than than um, uh, Circle of the Land. So my, my question, do you, do you just off the cuff, do you have any insight for me as kind of really a good way to blend druid and wizard? His whole theory on the way of looking at things is... Um, that everything is connected, the nature and, and arcane and all that, it all blends together. The universe is at his, at his disposal kind of thing. So, and it, mm-hmm. it, lofty kind of a thing, but would you have a suggestion of how to best kind of you know, put that together in a convincing format? So I, I, I think Circle of the Land is a great starting point mm-hmm. because when, when designing the Circle of the Land, uh, actually the whole concept of it basically was it's the Druid Wizard. Right. And... And so I think, you know, that's that's a great uh, foundation for you to build on. Uh, it's going to give you a lot of spellcasting flexibility. You get a little bit of wild shape in the mix. Mm-hmm. Um, now, one simple tweak you could make in your home game, mm-hmm. uh, and so this this involves going outside the rules, is mm-hmm. that you don't want to have to rely on multiclassing to realize this character concept. Uh, you could just add some spells that are missing from the druid spell list to that list. 
uh, and then and just be and go on your way. Okay. Now, if you want to do it through the rules, you can certainly take a level or two in uh, Wizard. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could also, if there's just just a handful of spells you want, well, not a whole handful, but maybe, you know, just one or two you want. You can also take the Magic Initiate feat, which is a way for you to pluck uh, some spells from other classes. Uh, so that's that's another another thing you can use for your tinkering. Okay. And then I would also, when you go looking, when you go look at the wizard, if you do decide to go the multi-class route, mm-hmm. uh, look carefully at the different uh, subclasses in the wizard. <laughs> uh, I think I think often people making an an elementally sort of flavored uh, spellcaster would be inclined to go evoker. Uh, because you know you're gonna you're throwing fireballs and whatnot, uh, but <laughs> Tiny's favorite thing you to do. might actually you. But but for the the theme you're going for, mm-hmm. you might also consider something like the diviner, uh, where you're getting this sort of mystical aspect, where you you not only are in tune with the elements, but you're seeing some of the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you you can then sort of push more into sort of the shamanic. Uh, archetype. So there are, again, a number of ways you could do this. So I'm going to suggest also one other thing you, you consider. Uh, Just awesome. If you're going to go the multi-classing route, mm-hmm. uh, you might also consider, instead of wizard and druid, you might consider cleric and druid. Okay. And, and if you do cleric, then uh, you could go down the route of taking something like the light cleric. Because if, let's say, Really, what you're fishing for is are spells like fireball. Well, the light cleric is going to give you that. Oh, the wow. light cleric has various fire themed spells, uh, and then you're going to gain access mm-hmm. to the divine mystical abilities that clerics have. So you actually have a variety of ways you could build this. Oh my God, it's it's like going to the fountain of wisdom and, and mm-hmm. being able to dip direct. That's amazing. Thank you. I appreciate that a lot. <laughs> my pleasure. Because these these characters always, I think I've only had a PC version of this particular character on three or four occasions over the past 25 oh, years. But I've always had them lingering in the background of my game world. So to be able to to define them, to keep them fresh and current is is, is very important to me. So that was, that was really, that was awesome. And I appreciate that. What do you suggest for a beginning person, someone mm-hmm. just coming in into the game that's not really um, played yet to get them started? um, The easiest way to start is with a pre-generated character so that basically you don't take a new person and say, before we even play, we're going to have to teach you how to make a character. Um, I think often it's great to have a one-shot with a newbie to say, okay, here's just what D&D feels like. Uh, and it doesn't even need to be, you know, a full four-hour session. You can do, you know, a 90-minute 90, 90 to two-hour session, which I've, I've run before at conventions, you know, just a little mini dungeon crawl or some other little wilderness adventure to give somebody that initial taste. Uh, and when I'm teaching a new player, I tell them very few rules because one of the beauties of D&D, unlike, say, a board game where you do need to teach somebody all the rules in advance, uh, so they can make informed decisions throughout the game. With D&D, you don't really need to do that. Uh, with D&D, because it's run by a person, all you need to make sure is that the person understands what a D20 is. Uh, and would, so when you ask them to roll a D20, they know which of those strange-looking dice to pick up and roll. Uh, they need to know sort of 
where to find things on their character sheet. But even that, you can actually point uh, them to while you're playing. Mm-hmm. And then otherwise, the main rule I tell them is when it's your turn, particularly in combat, just describe to me what it is you want your character to do, and I'll tell you how you do that using the rules. Yep. Uh, and so I've gotten brand new players up and running in 10 minutes before mm-hmm. uh, p- playing Dungeons & Dragons. They really don't need to know that many rules uh, beforehand. Now, when they get to making their first character, we have specifically designed a few subclasses in the game for beginner players and also even for veteran players who are in the mood for a kind of more rules-like experience. And so uh, the four main examples of of these sort of beginner-friendly uh, options are the champion subclass and the fighter, mm-hmm. the the thief subclass and the rogue, the uh, school of evocation and the wizard, and the life domain in the cleric. We designed those to sort of give you a really classic D&D experience without too much rules fuss. That's uh, cool. And okay. We find often, though, once people get their taste uh, for D&D and they realize, oh, I love this and I want to make, you know, characters of all sorts, they can usually figure out uh, even the more complex subclasses pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. Okay, my mind is properly blown. This is good stuff. This has been great. Um, can Can we call on you again sometime? Is that, would that be cool? (laughs) <laughs> um, please, uh, you can you can check with me, uh, uh-huh. and if yeah, if we have time, uh, I I love talking about D and D. Oh, and so do I, as, as you can tell, because this has been one of our longer podcasts. This, that's because I can keep going. Um, but you 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 have you have sage advice, and you are on Twitter, and and you're like you're loyal to your Twitter. I I see that all the time. You're always talking with folks back and forth. You're very accessible. I I, I do the best I can. There mm-hmm. are definitely times where it's hard for me to keep up, uh, but. I love I love talking with the community, mm-hmm. and honestly, and honestly, it's a form of research for me. Uh, I am always keeping an eye on what's confusing people, what's delighting people, mm-hmm. what do people want more That's of. Wonderful! Uh, it's a way for me to to stay engaged with the community and see, you know, where where might we need to go next? Uh, not not only in our next book, but you know. One year from now, two years from now, five years from now, ten years from now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's it. I, I view it as a very uh, helpful sort of reciprocal relationship with the community. Fantastic, and and it shows. And that, and and I love how people respond to you. They know that you know, you've got their interests at heart. You know, it's it's not just people generating a, a game and hoping for the best and sending it out into the world and saying, "Okay, good." No, you're invested into that community, and and we appreciate it from our from our end of the community. We really do appreciate that interaction there. Um, there's oh, so much good. more that That's I wanted to ask you about too. I mean, I know you, you met, you know, the man himself, Gary, and, and, and I wanted to ask you anecdotes about that, but I don't want to take up your entire afternoon <laughs> as much as I would delight to do <laughs> well, that. Can, um, if, if you'd like, I can, if you'd like, I can close with just a, a short version of my meeting with with Gary. Oh, please. Uh, that would be great. And, and, and also actually I should say, I also met Dave Arneson. Okay. Uh, oh. it, it, it is funny it is funny that I, I grew up in San Luis Obispo California which is you know a relatively small university town yet mm-hmm. there there in that town I had the opportunity to meet uh, both of DNT's main creators mm-hmm. so I'll actually start with Dave I met Dave at 
uh, the little uh, game convention that was held at Cal Poly, which is the university there, the game convention was called Polycon. Mm -hmm. And growing up, I went to that convention many times. It was my first experience of what a game convention could be. And one year, Dave Arneson was uh, the special guest. And I went to a panel that he did and and even nervously stood up and asked him a question. And I think it was actually about um, building D&D groups. And I remember to this day that the advice uh, Dave gave me was always try to sort of have this open door uh, to make it so that, you know, people feel welcome to try D&D out. So it, it's funny that that is something to this day I, I attempt to do with the game. Brilliant. Yeah. Uh, and, then, and then Gary... Uh, I got to spend an entire day with oh uh, Gary Gygax was uh, invited to come to the game store in San Luis Obispo that I worked at. The game store was called Games People Play or Game People Play, uh, and uh, it, it, the store was run by the owner and me. It was just the two of us, mm-hmm. and Gary agreed to come for the day uh, to sign autographs and chat with people, and. My my wonderful job was to simply stay next to Gary and make sure he was happy. <laughs> and awesome. so what that meant is is the you know the teenage version of me got mm-hmm. to be there next to Gary for an entire day, wow. listening to him talk to other people. And then whenever other people weren't talking with him, I got to chat with him. You know, I got to talk with him about the original Temple of Elemental Evil <laughs> and just, you know what it meant to <laughs> play D anD D and he was he was this warm sort of grandfatherly figure to me the mm-hmm. entire day and that that has stuck with me ever since uh that 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 warmth that he shared with me and that accessibility mm-hmm. you know, had this cr- creator of this not only a game but really of this cultural phenomenon mm-hmm. and he was willing to just chit chat with this excited nervous kid uh, for for a whole day, uh, and so that it's sort of I try to pay it forward by now being accessible to to people who are loving D and D today. I, I got to imagine that he's he's getting an absolute kick out of that right now. If if, if he's had the opportunity to do, he would see that 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 kid that he was with is now that steward who's very conscientious of how he handled the game. So that's 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 a baton. You just you you can't pass up handing that off. That's awesome. That is just phenomenal. Okay. Amazing. Well, and I, and and I don't, I don't think either he or he or I would have imagined, mm-hmm. uh, you know, on that day, <laughs> on that, yeah. that I would go on to to be one of the game stewards. <laughs> it's not one of those things you ever you could you could have predicted at the moment. <clears throat> no. But, uh, yeah. Absolutely. Oh, that's phenomenal. Um, any anybody else? Because I've been hoarding this conversation. Tanya's jumped in, but and I know Dolly had a question. Did I did I miss anybody? Chris, Sherry. Okay. Yeah, I just wanted to say how really appreciative I am of where you're taking the game and how much care you have for it. I haven't played in about 20 years, and we just started playing 5th edition with Chris, and I am beyond thrilled. Just absolutely thrilled. Wonderful. Wonderful. So needless to say, we're we're all hooked. Thank you for saying so. Just hearing the stories and how much you care about it, I'm 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 over here tearing up. <laughs> <laughs> we we are a sentimental lot over here. Yes, we're very emotional. 
Um, water Wonderful. <laughs> uh, Jeremy, thank you. I appreciate your time. I'm going to go ahead and wrap this up at this point, and, and I don't want to take any more of your afternoon. I, I am grateful that you, uh, you had the ability to hang out with us. Uh, we are definitely going to be a big follower of, of your work, and uh, and we're looking forward to Morgan Canaan's uh, in May. And uh, and this has been Jeremy Crawford. And if he wants to, to actually become a player, you'll be more than happy to DM oh, him and I, register, but he's got to come to us. Yes, I, I would be stuttering the entire time, but I would definitely be happy <laughs> to. If you want to play. If we could ever get you to ro- Rochester. You know, it. Uh, we're, we're a bit tight for our, our 2018 show coming up in June, but we would love to have you at the, the Flower City Comic Con come up and just you know do a talk and we can play games and have a good old good old afternoon, good old weekend. Um, yeah. But we'll, we'll yeah, def- let, let, go ahead. Yeah, let me know for a future one. I might be able to make it. That would be phenomenal. That would be absolutely. I mean, you'd see me turn into a, a 12-year-old kid all over again. <laughs> You're a 12-year-old kid today. Like, He's not oh, that I know. far from I'm, me right now. <laughs> well, that's, that's part of my charms, 47 going on 14 on a regular basis. Um, April 27th and 28th of 2019 is oh, yeah. our 2019 dates. Okay, so hopefully we can see you in April of next year. Maybe we'll, 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 we'll have a talk see if we can work that out. Um, but yeah, yeah, please email me. Absolutely. And and thank you. I will not be able to say thank you enough for your time today. And it I'm has looking been great. It has been great talking with you and uh, and we wish you the best and, and I've always wanted to I have to say this. Roll initiative. <laughs> with my luck, I'll get a one. <laughs> That's so my job. He. That's my job. So will he. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Have a nice well, afternoon. For, have a great rest of the weekend, Jeremy. Thank you. Take care. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> okay, that happened. So, so concluding that interview with Jeremy Crawford, we're going to be uh, taking a quick break and coming back with our uh, um, events that are going to be We got some up stuff to wrap up this particular podcast our, uh, for the day. Yeah. For the week. I'm going to go breathe in a paper bag for a few moments. Yes. <laughs> so we'll be back in a moment. Reptilicus is silly, but he really illustrates the great array of monsters all over the place. Not just in Japan, but across the planet. An A to Z gamut or gargantuan panoply. Example, please. One name a land. Belize. Oh, geez. Easy peasy. Mesa amaze. Seeing the Yucatan, you can meet El Cadejo. In Belize, they believe in him. They're not afraid to say so. Scotland. Nessie's living up in a lot. How about Poland? Scary, scary crow named a bot. So, so it's not just Godzilla? Well, duh, crow. There's a lot that could kill you. Hey. Tom. Sorry, crow. Okay. Rose. Joe. Yo, Jonah, how's the chorus go every country has a monster <laughs> they're afraid of in their nation every monster has a country yeah, a station they call their home Cleaving, Cleaving, what turned the mustard's guts to spaghetti? <laughs> Was it in Tibet? Yep. Then he met a Yeti. Australia? Bear drop bears will impale ya. Then they'll sell ya hella touristy paraphernalia. Chupacabra's chewing up cattle down in Mexico. Del Geats, Horns Gorn, battling the Navajo. Congo's Congo motto is a mongo flying dino. I know I don't want to die, but when I do, he'll be the guy. Whoa! So Crow, Servo. ready to go. Start slow. Kropemon is a monster from Luxembourg. Who's actually the size of Luxembourg. He crushed the whole country of Luxembourg. Because he's the size of Luxembourg. Egypt's got mummies like Tutankhamen. 
We're bad. I am so stunned. We think, are bad. I don't think my heart rate has gone down 100, no, below 120 yet. No, no, no. Oh, that was great. That was great. That was awesome. And I then, can't what wait a, to have him on the phone again. What a freaking class act. Can we just bring him to Rochester Love this. this. I, I want to. Yes. Every Absolutely want to. Every dungeon has <laughs> a dragon. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> and Jeremy Crawford probably wrote it. With Chris Frank. <laughs> on the floor. On the Yeah. <laughs> breathing, breathing with a paper bag. Oh, my God. Breathe, Christopher. Breathe. breathe. Okay. Find my center. We have some events coming up. We do. FC3 board game night coming up April 4th at 7 o'clock at the Knox event room at Village Gate Mall. We're just going to hang out and have some fun and play play board board games. games. No prizes, no nothing, that type of thing. Just basically getting together and hanging out with each other. We will have our raffle tickets for sale sale, and tickets for the convention that night. I may even bring my PH and uh, DMG and see if I can strike up a game. Because uh, yeah, I, I, I don't DM enough games right now. No, I, I was think. well. I was planning on bringing the just the um, w- smaller portion of Talisman. Oh you yeah, said that would you work. You were going to be in the corner with Talisman. I could do Talisman. That would be cool. Ja- our, our Patreon James wants mm-hmm. to play. Oh, I'm in. He's played a different version of it, but he wants he hasn't played the second edition oh, version of Talisman. Very good. So I'm not bringing all the the expansions. So that will be April 4th at seven at the Knox Event Room, again Village Gate Mall, the FC3 board Come game hang out night. With us. Come hang out with us uh, on April 14th and 15th. Is Toracon at RIT. We will be there. We'll have a table yep. there, so we'll be able to talk up the show and hang out with all y'all, you Toracon folks. Mm-hmm. Uh, looking forward to that. They'll be our first time at Toracon. Uh, and now we have some everyday heroes. In past episodes of Monkey Business, we have highlighted nurses, EMTs, and firefighters that have been nominated as personal heroes. This week, we are expanding that list to include teachers. Mm. The woman who was nominated this week by several people is an amazing special educator, education teacher who truly cares about her students. This week's Everyday Heroes, shout out goes to our very own, my co-host and one of my best friends, Tanya Metris. Oh, I needed that. Thank you, Tanya, for being our hero, my Yay. hero. And remember, not all heroes wear capes. Because I don't want to be sucked into No, the, no capes. No capes. <laughs> no capes. You're my hero, Tanya. Oh, thank you, Dolly. You guys she, are all my she heroes. Has, she has to put up with us. That is, that's <laughs> heroic. <laughs> Exactly. Tanya. Yes, honey. I nominated you. Yay! I and I love seconded you. it. I did. I love you both. Yay. I love Sherry's socks today. Sherry has otter socks today? Yes. They're Valentine's ones. I bought them for her. Aww. Love you like no otter. Yay. How cute. <laughs> <laughs> that is so stinking cute. I have my All right. One. And our question of the week. Billy. Yes, sir. What cartoon or animated character from your childhood is, is the most memorable to you and why? Ooh, that's almost during the, during that whole uh, podcast. What makes me happy this week? What makes me? And then that's not the question. <laughs> <laughs> what cartoon character Plot makes you happy twist. from your childhood? Uh, cartoon character, uh, underdog. Underdog. Oh, oh I remember that remember one. Underdog? He was awesome. Yes. That that just shows I'm old. Well, no. When, when you <laughs> shows you have taste too. When, when you said that that was the first character I thought of was Underdog, although, mm-hmm. no, and you know, Bugs Bunny and all the Looney Tunes characters, I, no, I grew up watching all those, mm-hmm. but when you said cartoon character, Underdog was the first Boom. one in my head. So There goes the dynamite right there. there. How about you, Tanya? Oh, my God, there's so many to pick from. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm like kind of looking back to... First one that pops in your head. Cartoons of the 80s. Uh, I... I, I well, you know. All right, how about I, you, Dolly? I, I, no. <laughs> no. I, I'm like looking at, I'm like, you know what? The first thing that popped up here were the Smurfs. And you mm-hmm. know what? I, that, that's one of the ones I did like, but I, it was Gem and the Holograms. That was 90s, wasn't I it? I love Gem and the Holograms. Isn't that 90s? Qualifies? 
Because you were a child then. I mean, was it the, the holograms. <laughs> was um, that the 80s version of Josie and the Pussycats? Pretty much. Yes. Okay. And, pretty and much. The, the other one I absolutely loved, Thundercats. There you go. There it Thundercats, is. Thundercats, Thundercats. Thundercats. And He-Man. Edwin so, wanted to be a Thundercat. She-Ra. She-Ra, yes. Uh-huh. So, <laughs> I, I can't, and then Justice League. And Justice League, see? The, the Super the Friends. Super Friends, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I was Wonder Woman and the Invisible Jet. That was that was because I I played it right like Billy did. The first <laughs> and, thing that popped into my head twins. as soon as I read the question, the Super Friends popped into my and, head. It was it Snarf. Snarf with Thundercats. Was who was the the monkey? On, oh, Gleek. The, Gleek. Gleek. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Billy. Mm-hmm. So, Although I remember when it comes to Super Friends, I mean everybody thinks about the Wonder Twins, but I still remember Mar- Marvin, Marvin and Wendy. And Wonder Dog. And Wonder Dog. Yeah, those are my guys. Sherry, how about you? You crafted the question, so were you thinking of something when you did? Um, no, but the the first thing that I thought of when I just stopped to think about it was, and this is much older than the 80s, I was a huge Chili Willy the Penguin fan. Oh, wow. very cool. Walter Lance. There, yep. There was just something very sweet and very gentle, and that was the one that everybody associated me with. Mm-hmm. If I got to choose what cartoon we were watching, it was Chili Willy. There you go. How about you, Chris? Well, it was Super Friends as well, but specifically Green Lantern. There you go. Because of his imagination and the power he could wield by his imagination. Mm-hmm. I was just watching the Ryan Reynolds version of, of Green Lantern last night. it's not as bad as people think. It's, it's not, not great, good, but, but it was definitely not as bad as, yeah, as it's been panned it out to fine. lately. I was, yeah, it got yeah. the job done. Uh, to, give you, to, to give you a little background, um, mm-hmm. Green Lantern was one of my dad's favorites. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. And... And I have uh, a Green Lantern figurine above my desk at work that nice. was on my dad's 60th birthday cake. All right. Nice. Okay, so there's a connection there. And that's that's an emotional connection. I like that. That works. Thank you very much. Dolly, you're I next. I loved Muppet Babies. Muppet mm. Babies? Muppet Babies. That's and then amazing. there was also like Flintstone Kids <laughs> okay. with Thank Captain you. Caveman. <laughs> Captain Caveman! <laughs> Somebody, oh, right there. Somebody spoke about that on love my him. Facebook earlier. And I'm like, oh my God, I loved Captain Caveman. There it is. <laughs> All right, last but not least, Mr. Edwin. <laughs> Me being an anime fan, but I would have to say that mine would have to be the G.I. Joes. Mm. Okay. I Real American G- hero. Yeah, I love GI Joe. I used to have the, and now you know. Used to have the little figurines, and it was kind of funny because me and Dolly were actually talking about like you know what Toy Story movie we liked, mm-hmm. and she said that she liked the first one, mm-hmm. and I said that I liked the third one, especially like close to the ends. Spoilers, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, when he gives his toys, toys away to the little girl, mm-hmm. and then that kind of connected with me when I gave my GI Joes, my Transformers to my little nephew. Okay. Like, you know, that, See? that mm-hmm. part right there. Listen really... to those emotional connections yeah. we have with these characters. That's mm-hmm. amazing. See, for me, my favorite animated character is, is Aang up. from Avatar The Last Airbender mm-hmm. and his crew, you know, Katara and, and Sokka, or her brother and whatnot. So I, that when I think of my favorite animated characters, I think of that particular group. But from my childhood, yeah, it's, it's got to be the Super Friends. Yeah. It's, it's going well, all the way back. I loved Miss Baby, Miss Piggy. Oh, because she was just <laughs> as... She was sassy, and yeah. she just... didn't take anyone's crap. And I'm like, yeah, get it. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, and speaking of Airbender, you know they're actually coming out with a new season now. A new season? Mm-hmm. Is it, they're making it into a comic book, aren't they? Oh, they or... already have it into uh, okay. a manga. Oh, okay. But then... But it's not going to be an animated actual, like, television show kind of a thing oh yeah they, they had it on tv for a while and then they stopped mm-hmm. it for i think it was like 
can't remember now, a couple years, and now they're going to bring it back again. Oh. That's good to my attention. What's that, Cher? Is it Korra that's coming back? No, I th- no. they're going no. to the, the next Ever. Adventures of Aang. Yeah, like they didn't really wow. go into details. They just uh-huh. said that they're bringing back the Airbender. Oh, my. So it could be. That's Ooh. That has my attention. Something on the horizon to that look forward to. <laughs> That's exciting. Wow. Anything else for today? Can, can I quickly bring up one thing? Yes, uh, you may. FC3, Mighty Monkey, Monkey Business related. Yeah. Sure. And I don't think we've mentioned it, but uh, if you regularly buy things on Amazon, you can oh. go to amazonsmile.com. Mm-hmm. And from there, you can pick a charity or an organization where a, a small percentage of your purchase will go to uh that that charity or organization and Mighty Monkey is, is one, one of those. Mm-hmm. Or you know, if you have another favorite charity, sure. But mm-hmm. I've set mine to Mighty Monkey, and this is what was going to make me happy this week is that I want a copy of Justice League on Blu-ray, oh, and cool. I have mine set to Mighty Monkey. And because until the end of March, normally it's get double. A ha- triple. Triple is triple? Instead of half of 1% of the purchase price, uh-huh. you get 1.5% wow. of it's the purchase price. Monkey. So buy now with one click. On Justice League. He's doing it now. Look at that. And, um, Billy, that's awesome. See. I'm not sure how much. It, 50 it cents. says I made a difference. I think something like 37 cents. But Hey, well, every we'll little bit every helps. We'll take every 37 cents that we can get. So you got something. <laughs> Thank Yay. you. And I, and I get Justice Yay. League on Blu-ray. You're, Billy, you're awesome. That's phenomenal. Yes, you're my everyday I, hero, I Billy. I totally forgot about that. Yeah, see, I'm, I was so I wrapped up Amazon in today's interview that I just had no idea what I was doing half the time. That's amazing. So thank you for that. Mm-hmm. Um. This interview made me happy. That's the th- yes. if we're gonna do that. That was that mm-hmm. was amazing. That was just amazing. So I'm going to uh, I'm going to go breathe in a paper bag for a little while, and uh, and then <laughs> get ready for this afternoon. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and so wish everybody well. That has uh, this has been uh, that's a wrap for the day. This has been great. So as soon as you're ready, Billy, I'll uh, I'll start talking over it. There it is. And this has been Monkey Business, a product of the Mighty Monkey Corporation, purveyors and producers of the Flower City Comic Con, coming at you June 9th and 10th of 2018 at the Rochester Riverside Convention Center. Follow us on Facebook. Love us on Facebook. Follow us on Patreon. Follow us on Twitter. Follow us on Twitch. Follow us on Apple Five Star Reviews. The whole works. You can follow us anywhere, and we will lead you to some really good entertainment. You have a great rest of the day.